Take it away, Tom. Me. You gotta give me more energy. Take it away, Tommy. <laughs> Ahoy there, mateys. You had a. You had a. You had a. Lost <laughs> away. We're getting on a boat. Alright, take that back to square one. Do you have a quote? Merry girl. Thou faded. It's just like too. It's too like romantic to like say without like feeling. Just don't make it long. Just read it. Merry girl, thou fate. It's just like uh, thou fadest in pale glories behind me, boy. I see the sea, but thy guise grow wondrous blue. Strangest problems of life seem clearing, but clouds sweep between. Is my journey's end coming? My legs feel faint. Like his who has footed it all day, feel thy heart. Beats it yet? Stir thyself, Starbuck. Stave it off. Move, move. Speak aloud. Right, now Must head there. Now it's we're, That's it. There she blows. And see. There she blows. Ah! It be a whale, sir. A whale. All right. Welcome to Is books. Is it a white one? Welcome to Books Brothers, episode four doing Moby Dick today. It's and Moby Dick. It was written by Herman Melville in the 1840s. Uh, Herman Melville was an author and a biologist, I believe, um, you know, out of hobby, sort of a hobbyist biologist. It's a new show. Um, and that's all. Oh, my volume was way down on my mic. It should be louder now. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, that was a great summary of Herman Melville, <laughs> who is the author of the book. Um, but he was, he did have a very privileged life. Like we're talking oh, about. Oh, right, yeah. We're talking about sort of the life Andrew has been given where, you know, you were raised up in a sort of upper middle class society. Right. You were, he was right. given schooling. Uh, and his life was just sort of, it, it existed in rooms until he actually went on the journey. Uh, he actually went on the ship. Bought the he, he bought, buy the ticket, take the ride. Did you know that? What's that? Herman Melville, like, he was like, I don't know, like 24 or something like that, where he, he, he had just been working in, like, I think, like, accounting offices and, like, libraries and just sort of, like, boring shit. And then he went on an actual... Uh, voyage on a yeah, ship. Yeah, that's clear. I mean, you think you think through the whole book that it's like, okay, he must have actually done this because this, like, the detail is too much, is too intense. Even yeah, even the detail of when he went on his his voyage, they sort of bargained him down his lot, which is like, you get a percentage of the 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 ship's yield, and so you're like, I'll be I'll get like one three hundred sixty fifth of the profit. The ship that he went on also bargained him down to a lower price, which is literally a scene in the book. So, okay, so and the book when it, he lived it, yeah, folks. he lived it. When the book came out, he um, didn't. It didn't sell very well, I believe. It wasn't like I mean, I feel like no, this is yeah. true for fucking everything. Like that isn't Jaws or something. Just like it wasn't well received initially, and speaking then, of which, this is yeah. Okay, we won't get into that, but. <laughs> Um, he, 
didn't have a lot of success with it, and then like, I gotta stop talking. Oh fuck. Um, what happened? Hundred years what later, happened? almost a hundred years later, out of as in some circles, maybe squares, uh, that it is um, the most important American novel. Um, because at that point, I I was I don't know where I read this, but there wasn't really like a definitive like American writer at that point. Like yeah, you know every everywhere else in the world was kind of popping off with like certain movements and like uh, shit like that. Yeah, and you know America fucking fire over there in Russia. America had um, I think James Joyce and. The other guy who I forget's name, who's like got really Dickinson famous. over the UK. No, but ripping it up. Melville knew. Melville was really Nathan. Who's that guy? Nathan. Oh, I just saw his name. Yeah, Nathan um, Halverson. No, it's like Haver- Hawthorne. Nathan Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah, Nate. Uh, he knew him and like adored him and. Um, yeah, and that's like the only other person I can think of at the time. But um, yeah, it came about at a time when there wasn't really like an American identity in the literary game uh, definitively. Um, and he sort of brought that about, but it was sort of like a retrospective thing. You know, like I said, we're in the 1910s. Everyone was like, oh shit, that was like the definitive American novel of the 19th century or whatever. And it you yeah. know influenced it influenced how American writers would write, um, we write. Going, or tell stories and stuff going forward. It's very diplomatic. Yeah, but that's the intro to the book. Uh, let's talk about how long it is. Um, how I have a, long it is? Yeah, we'll give we'll give our the stats of the book. It's my copy is like a foot by like six inches maybe or like. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's it, and then across it's across it's like eight inches. Yeah, he's um, got a big book, folks, and it's got really tiny type, and it's like three hundred and thirty pages. So really tiny type. So it's yes, yeah, scientifically tiny type. Sexy, really sexy. Um, yeah, it's a it's a long book. Um, yeah, and that's it. What well, you want to talk about? What yours yeah. look like? My book is definitely. I'm gonna say smaller than that. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and I think both of ours, I mean, my painting on my cover is definitely cool, but since the book is now, like, uh, fair use, like, public property, basically, um, anyone can publish it, and we'll just say that before you get into it. Just be careful what you're buying online because some of it does look like... Mine grew on me, but Thomas's does look like shit. Um, yeah, mine looks like they gave like Rebecca, who's sixty-five, and she lives in this town that this uh, Wordsworth Classics exists in. And they said, "Oh, Rebecca's good at Photoshop," and she just sort of like Googled three D model of a whale, and it was like a three D model from a PS two game. And then she put like digital splashes because it wasn't a real splash over a photo of the ocean. And there's a moon above the whale's tail, and there's like a shitty ship that is actually like ghosting in the background. And I think she intends for that to be water reflecting the light, and it just looks like shit. That was really funny. And that's what I'm living with, folks. Glad you got into that. Um, uh, so, what else was I going to say before Andy interrupted me? 
and Indeed. So um, that is my well, name. We gotta say, say that. Uh, I'm Andy, and that's Thomas over there. Yeah, this is vo- this is Tom's voice. Andy, what were you gonna say? Okay, cool. Cleared it up. We're wait, and um, we're Books Brothers. I think I was just gonna move it on. I was gonna say, why did you read this book? Well, I was gonna say I was gonna do that as well. Um, sort of a brotherly harmony there. Um, basically, uh, basically, um, this book was at the start of what I like to call it birthed the idea of the Moby Dick paradigm, which is kind of the um, sperm of this podcast. Um, as in sperm whale. As, sort of the cum of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, it is what got into the egg of our brains. And and this is what you got. Um, so basically, the Moby Dick paradigm is when you hear about and you know about classic books, and you know the plot, you know kind of what happens. It's part of, like, popular vernacular, like the white whale. But at the end of the day, you actually don't know how profound it is. You actually – it's a dumb idea, ultimately, the Moby Dick paradigm. But you just have to actually, like, read the book. And then once you do that, you're like, oh, shit, like, I did have to read this to understand how profound it – Oh, wait. I think my audacity just crashed. Oh, shit. Yep. No, it's still gone. Um, Thank God. Woo! You should record my, my heart. You should record sank. my voice. Um, but, um, 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 yeah. So it, uh, why did you read this book? No, no, no. So, yeah. And then, so that's, that was super true for this book. Um, even though, uh, I didn't. I knew about the. I created the idea of the Moby Dick paradigm before. Yeah, that's weird. I read it, but my friend Chris, who was supposed to be on the pod but couldn't make it, um, he love you, Chris. He, uh, recommended me the book, and I thought you had recommended me it, but when you no. said you didn't actually, you haven't, you hadn't actually read it. I was like, oh shit, it was Chris. So, um, yeah, I read it because I. It's again trying to write sort of narrative songs. I was looking for like adventure books and how they use, how they inspire kind of excitement and like fascination and stuff. And then my friend, yeah, recommended the book. But um, all right, what really did you interesting. do? Interesting. Oh. Um, well, I, I mean, I was recommended from you, but it's funny. I've this. I was in film school and we were watching Question mark uh <laughs> was that film school and we were watching like a one of my peers like movies in in a in a it was like a film production class and it was just sort of like you know like medium rare shot like not great not bad and it was just like him uh, walking around in his apartment like i think i had like a voiceover and he was just like drunk and he was just like sort of like existential and was just like why am i existing and he was like drinking alcohol and i think it was about like alcoholism or something and he was just like crying and shit like that and then the movie just ends with it's like a short so it just ended with him like crying up against a wall and we um the movie and it ended and they were like what's the review here and the whole class was just sort of like lukewarm wait this is your friend's short film Hold up this is your friend's short film no this is just it was one of my peers this is his film 
This is his film. Okay, sorry. Sorry, clear that up. And uh, and so the room was just sort of lukewarm, and 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 we were just sort of like, yeah, um, it could have used more like a, uh, an arc or some sort of other otherness to it. It felt a little samey, and. Uh, the kid like crossed his arms and I was sitting behind him so I got a real and he like turned his head so I got a real like he was kind of muttering to himself and he went guess no one's read Moby Dick and, <laughs> okay. and from that moment I was just like holy shit I'm never gonna read that book it probably fucking sucks like fuck this well it's you know probably I mean? it's like part of the like infinite jest track of like yeah, someone it's- someone you know who really sucks really likes that just cemented that in my mind of like oh that book is probably like stupid or like just like flowery pretentious poetry that's sort of my own thing or it's like incel track not incel yet well he did sort of become just like toxic (laughs) just like toxic dude content yeah i didn't i didn't associate with that i associate it with tdc i've always had this like aversion to like intense poetry because it always felt elusive for elusiveness sake so i always thought it was i -hmm. categorized it like that um so i just avoided it but then you recommended it and now i've read it so wait should we get into because i want to explore that idea that you just said is did that i don't feel like we're it's too early for that i feel like but i'm gonna write that down um how did that change (laughs) Yeah, how did my perception did that, of the book? Was that the same? Did that change? Anyway, so let's sell this bitch. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, well, I don't... I mean, this book is just monumental in terms of... Honestly... Wait, let me Google it real quick. Oh, God. Um, just sorry. I just need a date here just to figure out the chronology of this like thematic arc. The, the chronology of the thematic arc. Okay. It's like the the sequence. Okay, yeah. So Heart of Darkness comes out fifty years after this book, maybe even sixty. Okay. I can't think of another book, let uh, you know, abating like Dante's Inferno that has this sort of arc, like this whole structure to the way this story is told mm-hmm. of this like deepening into darkness, uh, in, with the themes in mind of specifically what Moby Dick is about. I feel like this book invent nearly invented that sort of, you know, Dante's Inferno obviously has it, but uh, it like really brought that structure into the new generation. Like Melville reinvigorated it, and then inspired so much stuff that would, like, I would say like Apocalypse Now and Taxi Driver, and just like so many stories. Jaws are just like built on the bones of this book. Well, yeah, those are, but. Are you sure that that's true? Like you just don't know about book. Do you do, do you know enough about book history to like say that? Well, I mean that's a good point, but I from all I this is just from my subjective <laughs> viewpoint. This isn't I'm not a scholar, but so you're boss uh, babying. You're boss babying this book basically. Well, I'm read I'm read this book was sort of confusing to the public at the time and I think that's part of it is that structure had did not really take full weight yet. Like the world was shifting in the eighteen hundreds, and I think that <laughs> the, the crazy shifting causes eighteen hundred caused, caused an intense depression across the whole uh, 
like everybody and that changed literature and like what people were writing about and i feel like herman melville was right on the cusp of that well you do have a pretty uh bad understanding of history i feel like i'm not talking about history of like beep boop beep boop i'm talking about like boopy boop you know like human thought like um, like philosophy and emotion which i think i do have a grasp of yeah but not like you don't you just you don't have a lot of content underst- not understanding just knowledge no i see what you're saying but neither do you do, unless you can you, refute what i'm no, saying this is the pod you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> just making shit up like you gotta like give me books <laughs> that would just tear down my argument or we're moving I, on yeah Okay, let's do that. But um, I forget what I was talking about. So no, wait, yeah, let's just continue. It. Let's just continue on your made up track. Um, it's not made up. So, I feel like someone will back me up. Someone, someone back me up. Send an email. Uh, yeah, just the idea of like you know, obviously this is like yeah, Jaws is fucking. I don't want to talk about Jaws because it's just like oh my god. Oh shit! Can you hear me? Yeah. I just got like a. Oh my god, dude. I just got like a weird buzzing in my ear now. Well, just oh, ignore fuck. it or some shit. Wait, give me a sec. But anyway, but that's all that's I can, all say, I can is say. It is a, an adventure novel with intense depth. It's not gonna. It's not just gonna be simple, but it's also gonna satisfy your salty taffy cravings. Where you know you just want some yummy shit. I got rid of it. Sorry. It's also going to satisfy. It's going to give you that hearty har there she blows, grab the main sail. Sorry, can you say that again? Shit. What? Can you say that again? Why? I just wasn't paying attention. Oh well, I was just I was just saying like <laughs> I was I was selling the book of like, don't worry, it's it's going to have intense existential thought, and it's also going to have some yummy shit. It's going to have some like. Um, scenes that are just like, you know, Twain esque and like funny and, and scary. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's making me think. The book is like narratively kind of. I don't know. I would say even like it's not the meat, but the bread of the book. If you're thinking about it like a sandwich, um, you know, people do that. Uh, the bread is like. Yes, it's a it's sort of like a it's a slow, dry, dated like adventure narrative tale, but like the meat, which is not a lot. It's kind of it, there's a good amount of meat, but it's like so Ooh, Well, that's a good point. Maybe we so, should so timeless. Like it's um, unbelievably profound and sick, which yeah. Well, that's the thing I that I was thinking about. I think I was talking to Galen about that or something, but the reason the the Moby Dick effect exists is because every great author, unless it's like a shitty book, I don't know, but every famous book, they're always talking about the same thing. No matter if you go back 10,000 years, they're always talking about the same thing. It's just, it's the job of the new generation to like reinvigorate that flame with like fresh Kindle. So it like burns brighter. So like when you're reading an old book, you have to pause and like re and look through the words and try to like relate it to your actual present life or else it's just going to be dead on arrival. Um, and that's why new books are so exciting and like they make more sense is because it's just using the current word. 
which is fresh. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that would They're be They're always talking about the same thing, but just different words, new words. Yeah, so this would be probably, like, the narrative of this would, would probably more than suffice for someone in the 1840s. But now, and now it was making me think also, like, you know, but now it's not. But um, what you're saying with, uh, there is no narrative, kind of. Like, yes, they're searching for the whale, but until, like, when they get on the ocean, like, they take off from Nantucket or whatever, Bedford, New Bedford, um, there is kind of, like, no plot. They're just kind of like adrift. It's sort of almost. just like a cyclone. Like, and you started at the top, which was wide, and you just sort of fly down, 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 down. Yeah, well, because if there is any structure to the book, like when they get out on the ocean, it is like the f- they just kind of visit, sh- get visited by ships, basically. I don't know well, what that was. I guess before we it's go further, like, maybe we should just say yeah, the rough it's... plot. It's it's Ishmael who's this the main character. Yeah, we should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And he is this young man who uh, he he's feeling like seasick of life or something. Like he's he I think he says he's like if I didn't get on a boat I was gonna jump in front of a wagon. He just feels like I'm gonna kill myself if I don't shake it up. Yeah, he literally says I w- I will want to shoot myself in the head. Basically, well, no, he in says other he, words. I think he says I will jump in front of a wagon. Yeah, he also says, yeah, I know. He also says, like, pistol and ball. Like, I will shoot myself. So he's, like, suicidal at at the beginning of the book, which I don't, I don't know if that's, that's it's another, like, hole in our knowledge, but I don't know if that's kind of, like, a a new thing because, I don't know, just talking about being suicidal in a book just feels postmodern to me or modern, um, which is, like. Yeah, that is not a new thing. Yeah, that is as old as time. Well, the, the, yeah, okay. That's dumb, but the, the it goes in the idea which every is every kiss begins with K. I don't know what that's referencing to, but um, the beginning of the book is very like it's so comedic. You said earlier, it's like really funny. It's not like it's not like oh zippity doo da ha ha like you know like most kind of comedy in books. I mean, especially at this time, I suppose. Like, it's not very funny. It's just kind of like, ring-a-ding-ding, ha-ha-ha. It's actually, like, Ooh. really funny, kind of like slapstick, almost like a farce, um, particularly when he's kind of, like, messing around with Queequeg, who is uh, my favorite character. But Reminds me almost of, like, M.A.S.H. or something. What about M.A.S.H.? Yeah, the movie. It's not like a sitcom because like there's a no, scene. No, no, sorry, where... the movie. There's a it was a TV show, but I guess you oh, haven't seen it. Well, there's a scene particularly where he's like eating chowder with Queequeg, um, who's like uh, for lack of a better word, savage they use in the book, but he's like a guy from uh, I think Fiji or something, and he is like a cannibal and he's like godless he's described as like godless but he has this little idol named named kojo or tojo or something and uh he meets he meets uh ishmael uh because ishmael can't find a room in this hotel basically this tavern and the the owner gives ishmael this room which he can share with this random guy basically and it turns out to be queequeg and there's just like this really funny scene where He's like, holy shit, there's like a savage in my bed. And then he basically just starts to cuddle Ishmael for like no reason. And then it's kind of like they sort of like fall in love or like Ishmael sort of falls in love with Queequeg. 
And at that point, they're like kind of bros for life. Um, and but it's what lovely. I was trying to say, yeah. So it's absolutely lovely. After that, after that, there. This is the funniest part to me was when they're eating chowder, and then I think Quick kind of goes to bed, and then um, Ishmael follows him like a couple hours later, and he finds the door locked, and like he he realizes that Quick has his harpoon, which he's not supposed to have. And he's like banging on the door in that tavern. They're not allowed. But he's like banging on the door. He's like, quick, 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 quick. And he's not hearing anything. And then he's guessing. He kind of leads on. He's guessing that quick, quick has like killed himself, like fallen on his harpoon, basically, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, he like, like, I think they kick the door in and they just find him like silently, like cross legged on the bed, just like meditating or sleeping or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of shit like that. Like the beginning of the book is extremely funny. Once you kind of get out on the water and they do the whole like, uh, um, what's his name? Ahab. <laughs> when they reveal, when he sort of reveals that he's just doing one thing, which is finding the whale. That's like super funny and it, it like feels like a farce. Again, it's just like this grand, dumb kind of house of cards you're just watching fall pretty slowly, I guess. But can we finish describing the plot? We kind of like got. Oh, I don't mean in this, I don't mean in this detail. I mean like in a sentence, the whole book. Oh, okay. Do you just want to say something? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I I just feel like people we gotta we gotta fill them in if they don't know. Okay, do it. Or they're gonna be like a little confused. So it's Ishmael, who's this just this young man, and he just gets on a boat, and he's the captain's name is Ahab, and he's this crazy guy who's who got his leg bitten off by Moby Dick who's a huge white whale and he's (laughs) said to the crew we are going to catch this whale and he like pins a a doubloon which is like this gold coin to the mast and he says whoever uh, spears the whale gets the doubloon and so they just set off on this adventure to find the whale that is the plot of Moby yeah. Dick. And I'd say the writing also at the beginning. We're like half an hour in and we just described yeah. <laughs> the uh The writing, I'd say, as just like a thriller sort of adventure in the beginning with the mystery of Ahab and like the hype around that. And that's really fucking cool. Um, also, when he talks to this mysterious guy, Elijah, who has like a black handkerchief, um, mm. he doesn't really show up. I mean, he doesn't show up in the rest of the book, but um, he just sort of talks to this random guy, Elijah, at the dock in front of the Pequod, which is the name of the ship. And he's sort of like vaguely warning him, I think, I remember. Yeah. And then, totally. but the, he's like just the wise old man yeah. saying, like, you silly. He's kind of like the baboon in Lion King. Well, he's more like, uh, he's just. Or the Mandarin. He's the classic character of like right before. It's basically in a movie when someone is about to set out an adventure and then someone with like crazy eyes says it's kind of like the hobo with the sign thing. Like, yeah. Oh, like, and they have like, they sort of shake you and they say something that doesn't really make sense. That's super cool. But also during that moment, like he describes seeing like black figures kind of like scurry into the, like fly into the ship almost like, you know, they're not flying, but they're sort of like, you know, Drifting into the ship quickly. I don't know. But that was super cool. Um, Can I say something about Queequeg? Yeah, let's let's just talk about Queequeg. Queequeg, I, I thought was interesting. I think he is sort of, he becomes the Dean Moriarty of the book. 
in this in from Di Moriarty is this sort of fantastical based on a real guy who would like drive a he drove a an acid bus across the country with his eyes closed as supposedly it was just sort of this like always living in the moment um just like arbiter of joy and like movement and just like having fun in like a wondrous like curious sort of way and i think he's i think he's kind of the the dean moriarty for ishmael yeah it's a little bit it's a little bit like orientalism just like thinking that another culture like has all the answers or like just like a well actually wait mysticism wait i want this is an important point queequeg also sees that in ishmael there's a when they describe queequeg queequeg goes on his journey he leaves his island his like home and he leaves it because he thinks there's something in 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 christian christianity that his homeland is missing so he 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 leaves because he i think also sees something in ishmael with christianity that that's what i was gonna say like he is sort of an oriental kind of figure with just like I was going to say, before you even said that, like, he is a figure of, like, spiritual purity in the book. Um, Like, he's just, like, the best friend in the world. He seems to, like you said, like, kind of live in the moment. He doesn't seem to be, like, actually troubled by anything. Um, I don't know if we should get into the coffin thing at the, near the end of the book, but. With, With the tattoo? He's just, like. He's a figure of like, yeah, just spiritual purity where everyone else on, on, on the boat kind of has like a clear, uh, problem. Um, not clear. Well, for the exception of, I think the carpenter is a reflection of Queequeg. He is like, he lives by a code that he doesn't even understand, but he's just, he just believes in it. He just has faith in it, and he and because of that, he is this sort of like wise, um, enjoyable yeah, person. Yeah, well, the carpenter to be is the guy on the ship who I'm just saying this for people who don't know. Um, he just kind of like is the same sort of deal. He's just kind of like a a very uh, hands on, like smooth operator. Doesn't have a lot of trouble, a lot troubling him. Although was that was that the same guy who? Um, the same guy who had lost his son or something um let me actually have a quote right here don't okay just don't make it long you might yeah it'll be short you might also say that this strange uncompromisedness in him involved a sort of unintelligence for in his numerous trades he did not seem to work so much by reason or by instinct or simply because he had been tutored to it or by inner mixture of these even even or uneven, but merely by a kind of deaf and dumb, spontaneous, literal process. He was a Super pure manipula- manipulator. Okay. Um, um, is that, well, it's is interesting. That the carpenter? It's a quote from the book, bitch. Okay. This is about I, the we carpenter. We were talking about Queequeg, and now we're on the carpenter. But Well, in the sense of they are the same. They are know, the like, same. Queequeg defends, like, I think it kind of says that um, he defends um ishmael when they're taking the boat from new bedford to nantucket and he basically like i think he just like picks a guy up who's like really big and just like throws him off the boat or something as like he he's like threatens ishmael like very slightly and just like throws him off the boat uh which is super cool and then yeah towards the end 
he does he's not really spoken about a lot for the rest of the book aside from like you know being on the boats and like spearing the harpooning the whales but and just doing sort of jobs and stuff but near the end he sort of gets sick and he's basically decides to die he's like okay it's my time i'm gonna die and then the carpenter makes him this this one this like magnificent kind of like it's quaint this coffin and he like is laying in the coffin just preparing to die and then it's like the final kind of funny aspect of the book he kind of um just decides he, he just his pants. He, just, he just decides like wait okay i'm not i'm not gonna die and then he just sort of leaps up on his feet and at that point like he, he yeah, was he like, like physically up, yeah. like literally looking like he was about to die he was like physically ill and then he's just like oh wait i'm not and then he just kind of gets up and uh yeah, that's actually that's a really good characterization of who he is is he is not the type to moan excessively like he will only moan if he really is in pain. He's not looking for sympathy. He's just always expressing how he really feels. And so like as soon as he feels okay, he's okay now. He's not like making it this like, "Oh, I was sick and now I'm starting to feel better." And, uh... Like how like Ishmael would probably yeah, behave. He's not he's not he flowery at switch. all. He listens to the switch. I don't know because yeah. like I'm thinking in my head, it's like yes, it's a little bit, it's like Orientalism, but at the same time, it's not. Why do you say Orientalism? Like the it's other, not, like looking like it's like ancient ancient wisdom kind of thing. Like that's Orientalism. Oh, I okay. I don't. I, don't I think wouldn't you, say. Oriental. I don't think you know what that means. I would just say like pagan. I'm just gonna say that. Or no, it just refers to the East. That's well, what that it word refers means. to like other cultures, like you know the the noble savage. Oh no, I don't think it, it does. Like he's he's I think he's that might be racially. We might get on rocky waters. Yeah, the word just means characteristic of. You Asia. don't know Edward Syed. You don't know the concept of that. So yeah, just look up Edward. Well, you have to explain the way you're using the word. So, or people are going to get confused. You just don't know what if I say Orientalism and it doesn't immediately make you think of Edward Said or whatever. Then you, it's about like colonialism and like the white man's burden, and it it goes into like you know, like I said, seeing trying to. F- yeah, you're you're saying some author it's a you huge read concept. Everyone and his knows use about of the word. It. It's what Orientalism means. Yes, Oriental okay. refers to like the Far East, but Orientalism is about how the West perceives other cultures to be like savage. Right. No, I get it. You you read a book, but we got to establish what this book's thesis was, or everyone listening to this. Is I'm just be lost. talking. But I brought. We can't. We can't assume everyone read Edward Said. People know about it, except for you. <laughs> but oh, I'm just God. talking about Queequeg no, as like the noble savage, like it. Also, it honestly like it doesn't ultimately feel like um, it doesn't feel like a noble savage thing because he subverts it in a way that feels like genuine. It feels like truthful and like genuinely understanding of like it's not even the ultimate kind of aspect of Queequeg being foreign, a foreigner basically. Um, because like the ship itself, the crew is very interracial and it's aside from like one instance of them sort of like butting heads on being different from each other, 
it is actually like pretty forward thinking and like a genuine way about like race based like in uh diversity um so it doesn't feel ultimately with queequeg like he's being depicted as a novel savage because there does seem to be like such a it's such a profound and like genuine depiction of love between Ishmael and, and Queequeg. And like the ultimate thing with, with Queequeg is, you know, this is where we're getting into spoilers. Uh, he goes down with the ship. Everyone dies except for Ishmael. Um, so like, you know, uh, Ahab, everyone dies. The whale gets away. That's the white whale. Everyone knows that. I actually didn't really know that at the end, but, um, yeah, so then it, like, ends, like, in this really epic way, and it's, like, whoosh, and then it gets into, like, the epilogue, and it's, like, wait, and that's where we'll get into, we'll get into perspective after I, after I say this, but um, Ishmael is just, like, yeah, I was, you know, I was adrift, and then, like, look, the carpenter made for Queequeg, like, rises back up, and um, he uses it to survive, um, which is like the last line of the book, but that was like my favorite part, honestly, was like his, the ultimate, like, not brother, like he's still sending him like that insane help or something. I don't know. I think he's probably like his guardian angel. Yeah, uh, he's Ishmael's guardian think, angel. Yeah, I think they just, they, they love each other because they, they see what they want in the other. Yeah, so then let's get into perspective because sometimes, I mean, mo like the whole book, Ishmael ostensibly sort of fades in and out as with respect to like being in the physical reality of the story. Um, like sometimes he'll just talk about where he is, where he's standing, what he can see. And then it's like, oh, he like knows what people's, people are thinking. He knows like... Uh, you know, there's there's parts in the book that are scenes just between like Ahab and and Starbuck or Stub. Um, yeah, so the perspective is kind of strange. And in the last part, especially, you're thinking like, where the fuck is Ishmael in this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and then, because he's omniscient, but then you know, in the epilogue, it's like, oh yeah, like you almost totally forget he was even there. Oh yeah, no, he does. He takes like a back seat. You have anything to say about that? Um, he's sick. What do you think? What do you think that means? Uh, I think I think honestly, it was just sort of because Melville is Ishmael is Melville, and I think he wanted to embody his himself in the this whole world he was creating and didn't want to make it like just a, a monologue he said, he said the opposite he's like he actually noted like i'm not ishmael in the in the book right but but the the parallel between him getting on the boat in real life and ishmael getting on the boat in real life and him feeling depressed in real life and ishmael feeling depressed in real life i feel like cannot be ignored it and it, he is an ishmael in the sense of like Oh, no, he is. I don't know why he said that. I think he said that to be mysterious. But Yeah, because he also does say in the book, like, uh, what's the word? Allegories are, like, you know, 
uh, whatever. They suck. Like, I fucking hate allegories. Like, he literally says in the book, like, don't think about this as an allegory, which you're thinking the whole time, like, oh, what does this mean? Um, yeah. yeah. But, if, but, but if, that's the point. I think you start to, like, puts, not trust him. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I don't know why he's saying that. And, like, the first words of the book are famously, call me Ishmael. And to say he doesn't like allegories, and then he has that entire chapter dedicated to the story of Jonah in the Bible, which is a perfect allegory for the structure of this book. Yeah, I don't know if that's like he's trying to be funny, like in a meta way, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of going overhead. It is so just like the grandiosity of the book is really comes to like sort of opens up when you finish it and you're like you're not really given any answers and like yes it's an allegory for something but you really don't know for sure when you that's what my experience was like I actually finished it while I was trying to avoid like people over the house so I like it was on July 4th so I drove to get Mexican. I didn't read in there, but I got like dinner by myself at a restaurant. And then I drove to the parking lot of a movie theater and I finished the book in the parking lot. It was super weird. And then I went and saw Fast and Furious 8 or 9 while I was like kind of like keying and hawing because I was like really moved by the end. But yeah, like when I finished it, I was like, okay, now I'm going to Google what people think it's about and I'm going to get probably like a direct answer but it's still when I went online, it's actually just like we don't really know what it's about. Like it's about like everything and about it's, well, it's a, yeah, it's like, a, it is about like six things, and it is about each one of those six things. It doesn't yeah, have so to like, the book doesn't people, have to be about one thing. It'd be about six things. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like it doesn't. That's true, but also like none of that feels definitive. None of that felt definitive for me by the end. I was just like whoa yeah and then when i looked up that it means so many different things to so many different people that's where i started to get like really chilled out because i was like like chills i was like oh shit like i just feel like way i feel like tricked almost and i'm just like whoa what was i reading this whole time like that's where i'm that's where it, that got me like thinking like oh shit i might be thinking about this for like the rest of my life until i read it again or like you know i'm never no one's ever going to get it or whatever but no one will ever get it. I think, I don't know, I back on the analogies thing, I think, I think, I don't know if he said that to just op- make people more open-minded, but also just put in allegories into the book. But he wanted them not to be, not people to, to drive the most like boneheaded conclusions from, because the thing, like the theme he's talking about is just too wide that, if you told someone it was an allegory, they would start looking for like direct answers and not like kind of zoom out enough. Yeah. But I feel like it is like it is an allegory um, for his for Herman Melville's emotional experience of life. Like it's not it isn't about nothing. It's about his life, Herman Melville's life. Well, I think he like he's clearly trying to make it mysterious. And I think I was thinking, Appropri- we I think that. appropriately mysterious for the subject, you know? Yeah. But like, I was going to say like literal examples, like there's so many literary references that are like from 
all span of time and like yeah. and cultures and stuff cultures and stuff and you get to the point where you're like um well you also that's kind of part of the artifice of like you know an american we were talking about earlier about not this being like a definitive american novel that became part of the style was just like an immense amount of literary references almost like a melting pot but i think he he brings those up just to like it's a sort of like adding like really good spices into this like pot but you don't it, it makes you more confused as to what it's about. Um, yeah, that's him building his argument for whatever, Her, you know, Herman Melville's thesis of life, if you want to call it that. I think that's him building his argument and almost desperately being like, look, you idiots, it's not just me. Here's a thousand things that are referencing the same thing. And they're eons apart in like across the planet. I, I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, he's he he's doing that, but I feel like at the same time is also just doing it to like be con- not confusing, yeah, but I don't like think confusing. Slight, yeah, not confusing, like slight. Like he's just making it more mysterious and like. Well, I was thinking like the, I was thinking you know, people were saying people say like man versus nature. There's one that's just like this is about a guy who just like hates an animal. Um, <laughs> and then there's stuff about, you know, it's like white whale is like death. White whale is like, um, God. And some people like think the God thing definitively. I think it's just, it's a chakram. I don't know if that, this is a th- word I was thinking of, but it's the white whale is sort of like this chakram or like this idol that is like all of what is meaningful in life, like wrapped into one thing or like. Maybe just like the purpose of life. I guess maybe even the meaning of life. It's just wrapped into this, this, you know, it's like the best allegory like ever made, which is funny of him being like, you know, allegories are dumb, like in the book, which is just like a funny wink. But like, um, wait, wait, yeah, does, I feel like does it, Ishmael say that or does Melville say that? Because Ishmael emotionally in, in, in the beginning is not wise yet. No, I think he's the wisest person in the book. Oh, I disagree. He's the most, I mean, aside from like those captain, like the captain, first mate and stuff. I would say the carpenter and Queequeg. Well, I don't think Queequeg's wise. Not, he's just I wouldn't like say smart, but pure. they're wise. Well, they're, I don't think Queequeg's wise. I think he's just like pure. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a difference. I think those guys, like we said, are two pure operators. Um, I don't know. We we didn't really talk about any other characters. There's yeah, a lot of the big a lot of the big um, characters in the book are like the first mates. So there's this is from memory, but Starbuck I think is the first mate. He's kind of like a religious guy who is very sort of like hardy American dude who's very religious. Um, he is always just like fucking like Ahab, like chill your shit, dude. like we're gonna die. And then there's, like, Stubb and Flask, who are sort of, like, Legolas and Gimli, almost. Um, I just read Lord of the Rings. Um, But they're sort of just, like, I don't know. They're just, like, operators. They're just, like, normal guys. Like, Stubb is kind of, like, a happy-go-lucky kind of wild man who likes to, like, rouse the troops when they're harpooning shit. And Stubb is kind of, like, the Napoleonic complex, like, or maybe I'm thinking of Flask. Stubbs the 
funny one from Cape Cod. Yeah, that sorry. Yeah, that that was Stub. Then there's um, Flask, who is the short guy, who is um, kind of like Gimli kind of or like, something. Yeah, just like classic, like short, stout dude. And then there's other guys Starbuck. like Tashtigo. I, well, I said Starbucks oh, already, did. but and that's where you yeah. know they get the coffee. And uh, Tashtigo is, I think, in a, is like a native from Martha's Vineyard. And then there's um, like the other guy. I don't know. Oh, uh, you said Tashtigo Dago. Dago, yeah, he's. I don't. I don't know if he's African or if he's like a freed slave. Oh, he was African. Yeah, I think he's a, a freed slave or a, a, just a slave who actually was a real historical thing. Slaves, if they took it, like a freeman. Well, if they took it upon themselves to to just run away, pirate ships um, would would bring them oh, right. on board and sort of make them an equal because they were seen as just like help. And this. Yeah, and then uh, and then crew. Yeah, so I talked about those guys that are like shadow figures in the beginning, and we don't know what they are. We just refer to as like black shadows, and that's all that's said about it. But then they're as they're on the boat for like I don't even know how long, like two weeks, they start to see like hints of people like hidden underneath in like separate quarters of the deck they haven't been to, and it turns out to be like Ahab's kind of just like his bros basically, who are like hidden in the ship, um, and that's. I don't. I forget his name. It's like Vindaloo or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, Findala. Findala. And he's got like a big. I think he's on the cover of my book, but he's got like a turban and like big hoop earrings. Um, and he's described as being like Satan, basically. Um, and he's just got other people. And then there's just like people from like Portugal, people from Spain. Um, yeah. yeah just for- so that's like basically all the characters in the book. But mostly, yeah, we, you know. Ahab really is almost like, in terms of the physical space of the narrative, he is the most like present figure within the reality of the book. Yeah, of like well, that's actually, the structure uh, that made me think of something. It's like maybe it is an allegory to have everybody on this ship, like basically every geographical uh, like human is represented. To say like it doesn't matter what religion you were born into or something you can be the character who is searching for the white whale like insanely there is no like perfected religion they all they they all can lead you astray yeah well i feel like everyone on the ship aside from like starbuck and like ahab's bros like you know findala uh everyone's kind of like iffy on it they're they're definitely on board but literally, but they're not like, hell yeah, the whole time. But like Findala is, and his friends who are like Ahab's bros, they're definitely like gung-ho, like we're going to kill ourselves for Ahab basically, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say they're like fully on board. Yeah, it's just like, it's just such a cool, like, I don't know, it's just like a, it's a, such an intriguing like mystery as to like what the fuck is going on with this. You mean in the sense of what is Melville talk, like on about? Yeah, well, just like the structure and like, yeah, I mean, it's just what I'm saying about like when I when I finished it and, you know, I wasn't expecting any answers, but like I was just like just feeling like because it, it, the way that the narrative works, like you just kind of get they just sort of like meet a, like, you know, five ships. That's like every chapter. 
and then it's just kind of like they're adrift yeah. almost. They talk, they like, you know, they get a couple whales in the meantime. Um, it is funny. Stuff like yeah, that. whenever like a and whale. Then, but it's just like a series of like dreams. Like it's not, it, it has no, like the parts where they're talking about the ships and stuff just feel like these things that like didn't even happen. But yeah. like they're, they're clearly like, meant to mean something like ultimately I think the most important ship they come across is called the Rachel. And it's like, I think a captain whose son was on a boat, like a whale boat that, you know, all from the ship, which was taken down by Moby Dick. Like five people were killed like the day before they saw Ahab, the Pequod. And they're in the process of like looking for his son. Cause I think he lost another son before that. But they're looking. They're looking for his son, and then Ahab's like, "Fuck off! I'm not going to help you." Um, and then they're ultimately the ship that finds. Um, they find uh, Ishmael like on the coffin, and he describes it. It's like my favorite line in the book. Just like another orphan or something. Yeah, which but is that, used in religion know, just, a lot, like sort of orphans of God or something. Yeah, I guess like the the ships are mainly just like. They're mostly just like, don't do this. They're just like telling him, like, stop doing this. Like, this is well, crazy. Yeah, every like, ship he, meets someone. he comes across, he goes, have ye seen the white whale? Yeah, and then, like, there's even a guy who has, like, a chopped off arm, and they, like, lock, like, you know, because Ahab has an ivory peg leg because his, his, um, his leg got bitten off by Moby Dick. But, like, they, like, lock... They lock arms like a la fucking Predator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's like, dude, like, don't do this. Like, I gave up. Like, I'm not, I'm going to die if I do that. And Ahab's like, fuck off, I'm doing it. Um, yeah, so I think that's ultimately what it is. They just, like, it's people in a different, a series of different, like, uh, unique warnings um, just to, like, not continue. Yeah, which I, th- if you look at Melville's life, he was just read like his life was just sort of reading and learning and then he went on a a boat ship so i to me that is like and also he references he's always referencing philosophers at like I, I think one point i forget that he uses um it's kant and uh i forget who else but kant is the side of reason and blah 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 is the side of uh sort of abstractness and he says the boat is held in balance with either on the other side so I think the, all those visitations were for Melville when he was reading and he was reading these like journals of human beings who wrote down what, how, how they thought of life and where it took them. And so he was getting all these like warnings of did this, did this life go astray because of this faulty obsession? Um, and I, to me, that's what it is, 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 is like his literary journey was always meeting people with like different perspectives and had different conclusions. Um, and, and he's characterizing Ahab as just sort of like a Nietzschean figure who just strives straight into the belly of death to just see what they can find. And it's just death. And then they die crazy. It's weird because he wrote this before Nietzsche's thing happened where he like tried to just sort of surmount God like through his his philosophical works and he ultimately just died probably because of a sickness but he did sort of go crazy um because of it 
Yeah. And this was written before well, that even happened. Ahab is, um, yeah, just like brazen. He's like the opposite of the spectrum of Queequeg, where it's like he's like neurotic operator. Like he's he's always like actually doing something. He doesn't seem to like think about anything really. And then Queequeg is like just like spiritually pure operator. And then I think Ishmael is like it's kind of like the Holy Trinity basically, but like uh, not really. But, um, and then Ishmael is kind of like the romantic philosoph- philosopher of that trio. He's he is always like trying to you know die dissect the meaning of everything and like yeah. I think yeah I think he is like Melville. That. He's the yeah. thinker. He's well he's the thinker. And then, yeah. Well, to that point, actually, we should bring up through through a lot of the middle of this book, it's just like a textbook of everything Melville learned about whales, um, which is it's told through Ishmael's voice. So it's like Ishmael is this like uh, chronic overthinker, overanalyzer. He's really high high frequency, just like he knows everything about whales. Um, and like in terms of their like skull size and their and their blowholes and it's like acidity and yeah he goes into like excruciatingly boring not excruciatingly boring but like it's annoying how much the book is like that's when I said bread like there's so much information about whales if you like whales you'll probably enjoy it it also does just kind of like help in a small way hype up the white whale because you know like every inch of like what whales are by the end of it. And that's um, kind of the funny part is like I was I was reading it a lot of the time and there is kind of a cringe factor to he is saying like just literal sort of scientific textbook stuff. And I would just be like, is that true though? And I would Google it and it would like Oh, it's like it's sometimes all he gets yeah. it wrong and it's that's sort of the cringy part of it where you you can't read it and also think he is like nailing whale biology because he it was, you know, primitive time in scientific history compared to now well i think the biggest one and i think that's if you get the abridged version of version of the book it has all that shit taken out yeah most of it taken out because the biggest one is where he's like it's near the beginning of when he starts kind of doing these chapters about the anatomy but he says that whales are fish they're not mammals and that's (laughs) like the clearest it's like the biggest thing which is actually it's actually like a meaning it's kind of funny that it's like the most interestingly like meaningful thing about whales as just like a thing in nature is that they're mammals they're like us and they have fingers like bones in their fins like five bones that are resemble fingers um but they're stuck they can't move them so it's just like they have these yeah. like stuck hands which i yeah i feel like he would like it's kind of ironic like if had he known the actual truth of that he would have um, played with that, I think, in a cool way. But, yeah, that's kind of where it's also, like you said, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> just well, you, like, you're just, yeah, that's not true. Yeah, not yeah, true. That's, Sorry. You just kind of, it's kind of sad. Yeah. But, yeah, aside from that, yeah, that's, like, I think the only thing that would bring the rating of this down. But I also want to talk about um, what's the, like, little guy who gets stranded in the. Oh, po po P. It's, like, pig. It's like Gib or oh, something. I thought it was like a P. Yeah, it's like P. Uh, yeah, Pib, I think. Pib. Pip. Pip. I'll just call P-I-P. him Mr. Pip. Yeah, so Pip is like, I think he's black. He's just like a little 
scrawny guy who has the tendency to jump off the whale boat when they've started a hunt and Ahab threatens him like if you do that again we're not coming to pick you up out of the water um, and eventually he gets stranded he's left behind I think and that's the most profound oh, sorry. part of the he didn't I had I did double check that because I was confused with that he does not get left behind he remains on the ship but he is like crazy now well, he gets left behind in some sense of the... Oh, well, no, that's he gets left behind, and that's when he goes crazy, but they find him like a, like a yeah, day later. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what oh, I was going to say. Um, so he's in the middle of the water, and it is the most clear to me, I think, like, remind me if I'm wrong or if I'm wrong on this, but it is the most, like, clear depiction of, like, someone transcending like he's the dumbest like most feeble character in the book but like he's described as having like the most profound like like in a i guess a good way like a a way of like seeing god basically i mean he almost literally like says Well, he does he takes because it follows the jonah arc like so consistently but like jonah does jump into the water specifically like that and has this sort of like looking into the depths of the ocean moment where he's like lost in it. Yeah. Like he, I guess another, like to put it simply to a fault, I guess is like, he sees God. Like he's, it's the most insane writing in the book in terms of like profundity, I guess. But like he's described as seeing like the orbs of the ocean. And like, he says like one of the cool quotes in the book is like, man, sort of Joker, but like man's insanity is heaven sense. Like he just like, says like the most insane shit in the book with this experience. And then he just sort of like gets back on the ship and is kind of like, kind of just like another weirdo comatose. And then Ahab. Yeah. He's kind of comatose from that. And then Ahab kind of notices him near the end. And he's like, Hey, I think he, I think he, I think Ahab's like, um, his sanity sort of gets like, a little bit like reanimated by Pip who has like seen God and like has seen truth almost. Yeah. And he's like, he sort of knows like, Oh, Oh, like there's something in you that I need to like explore, but he's still just like, fuck it. No way. Wait, wait, yeah. Wait. That is always, like, I want to, I still want to go do yeah, this. that is always Ahab's reaction. Like when he sees Queequeg's tattoos, which are very, it reflects Queequeg's like whole religious, like uh, arc of, of like, his religion from his hometown. Um, he, he's always like, he always says like blast the gods. Like he's, he's just anti God. He's an antichrist sort of figure. Whenever he's, he, someone tries to convince him of that. He just gets angry and sort of rejects it as just like uh, a yeah. hogwash. And the, and the last line before the epilogue is like the flag of the Pequod going into the ocean he describes it as like satan's flag basically yeah actually can i read i I have a quote if i may um yeah just keep it under like well no i think it'd be this is a long pod let's read the book i think people like hearing the Uh, i don't think this has been very good i feel like i'm in like a well it is sort of meditated i just feel like i'm in a haze right i got thrown off by the oriental orientalism thing that took the wind out of my sails 
So you just like that's a thing. You just, just like didn't know about it. I know, then. but it was just it was so pretentious. It just took the wind out of my sails. It's not pretentious. It's like such a it base wouldn't level no Andrew. Like it thing. wouldn't have been pretentious if you said Orientalism as defined by Edward Said. So I could have been like, oh, okay, I don't, I haven't read that book. But you gotta understand where I'm coming from. Is like I was just like, that's the first thing you learn about when you go to college. Maybe even high well, school. I know that you were just recommended that book recently and read it recently. It's not a book. I didn't read it. I didn't read the book. You told me. I just learned about it. You told me this. I know your personal history. I, d- I didn't read the book. Well, that's even worse then. I that's didn't. so pretentious. It, I learned about it in school. But it was, I know who reminded you of it recently. No, it's like the idea of like cultural appropriation Right, I get it. I'm just saying I know who reminded the idea you of it recently. Well, I know where you're pulling it from. It's the idea of the other. Okay, we won't get into it. It comes to foreign culture. I get it now because I Googled just, I mean, it. Now I know. It's just it, you, you could have right, de- so, defined it at the time. I'm sure everyone, write your review, leave us a review, a five-star review on iPod podcast, Please. iTunes podcast, and say, I understand Edward Syed five stars. Okay. Or at least I know about it. Like God, we have to move on. It's I'm right, quote, getting I'm, my heart quote. is reeling now. Um, my free, oh, so we were talking about Pip and sort of what he is seeing in the in the ocean, and if there is an allegory um, or an analogy to for the book of what the ocean is, I would say it's like the soul of the undiscovered soul of man, or like the unconscious, or the part of you. You don't Sorry. have access to. So you're saying the Pip thing, the 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 character of the ocean in this book. Yeah, I think they talk about that. Well, yeah, this is the quote. Um, like hearts or islands. Well, he says, "Consider the subtleness of the sea. How did how its most dreaded creatures glide underwater, unapparent for the most part, unapparent for the most part." and treacherously hidden beneath the loveliest tints of azure. Consider all the devilish brilliance and beauty of many of its most remorseless tribes as the dainty embellished shape of many species of sharks. Consider once more the universal cannibalism of the sea, all whose creatures prey upon each other, carrying on eternal war since the world began. Consider all this, and then turn to this gentle, green, and most docile earth. Consider them both, the sea and the land. And do you not find a strange analogy to something in yourself? For all this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, so in the soul of man there lies one insular Tahiti, full of peace and joy, but encompassed by all the horrors of half-known life. God keep thee, push not off from that isle, thou canst never return. I feel like that's the clearest um, part in the book, where he is just sort of giving you the key to what the story is about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the closest, I think. But it was making me think, like, in terms of the whale in in the ocean, in that metaphor, it's like multidimensional or whatever. But The whale is, I think, a par- uh, it's sort of like Vishnu, where it is, it is a paradoxical, or it's called the prima materia. It's this sort of... Changing forms and stuff? Yeah, it's always changing forms. It's usually sort of a devilish uh, figure or like a burning... Mother or something like that, but it's a figure that is, it is your creator and destroyer. It is, it it can it yeah. can invigorate you, but can also destroy you. And I think that's what Moby Dick is. It's like you can't actually apply a morality to him yet. He is just sort of 
it, like he is the before thought. He like he is the no, the nothing before something happens. He is that. Like so, it, it, that can turn into evil. That can turn into good. But it's good in the sense of Moby Dick does motivate Ishmael to probably a better place in the in the epilogue. Yeah. Well, there's like a cool. Um, well, I was I don't want to get into that, but. Well, it is like unattainable. Like obviously the white whale thing, it's like you can't. You, they can't catch it, but they can see it, and they know that it's real. Right? It's not just you know it's dumb. Like it's happening in someone's head. Well, it's real because like, it, it's a it, real it hurt. It hurt Ahab. Like it took his leg. It hurt him. Yeah, and but that's I don't. Uh, I don't that even need to say real. anything more. I don't need to say anything even more than just like it is whatever the white whale is it is ostensibly like a real thing in the book. Yeah, for sure. That, that is like, you can see it. Like you can see the, the, the jet or whatever. Um, but it's always because you know, of the, the, you can the way the ocean works. It's always half hidden. It's never fully revealed. And I think that's part of like the, the, the like the, you know, spookiness yeah. of Moby Dick. Well, and yeah, and then like when it does get revealed, everybody gets killed yeah. except Ishmael. But um, yeah, it may, it remind when you're saying the thing about the ocean when he's talking about kind of how whales are. Um, he talks about a thing that's actually similar in Thousand Faces about how at the beginning of time it was like really pure, mm -hmm. and like as time has gone on, that has dwindled. And he talks about how like whales were fucking like huge. I think. And he didn't, that's another thing about, you know, erroneous, like, erroneous, like, whale biology. Like, the blue whale is, like, the largest the whale has ever been. But he says, like, oh, I think, I think he says, like, the whale is now smaller than it used to be. But he says, in relation to that, they're, they're like, the kings of the ocean. And he, and even when the ocean covered all land, like, the, he says the whales were swimming over Moscow or something. Mm. Or, like, swimming over the Kremlin Wall or something like that. And I always thought that was, I just thought that was a cool line. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering, like, does, like, Ishmael survives the final attack. It kind of reminds me of, like, uh, Odysseus when he's, like, he's flying, pat the, the he, t he tells his men to tie him to the mast of his ship um, when they're passing the sirens. On one side of them is the sirens, and on the other side is a sea monster. And the ship just sails straight through the center. Um and he's able to survive kind of just by closing his eyes and, and not listening to the siren song. I don't know that. I don't know why I just thought of that. Was he, is he like giving, is he just sort of surrendering? Like giving? No, no, he's, up? he knows that either will like the, the, the vortex of the sea monster will pull the ship or the siren song will cause him to grab the wheel of the ship and pull it towards the sirens. And so he tells his, his crew, to, to tie him to the mass and he closes his eyes as they're flying through the center. But something about that was like very Ishmael to me of like, also with the metaphor I said before of like the balance of the ship one on one side is Kantian reason and the other side of blah, blah, blah. Um, but Ishmael survives. I, I don't know if he's closing his eyes in that final like thing, but I feel like he is kind of, he's not like engaging like everyone else is. Just, yeah, he just seems like yeah, it just seems like he's not even there. And then he just, like, appears yeah. again in the water. They also say, like, you know, with the whaling ships, which is, like, a crazy cool aspect of that time, is, like, you know, the sharks knew that 
there, you know, there's just blood coming off that thing all the time. They knew that they were going to find just like meat. So like when the whales would get killed and they'd be hung up to the side of the ship, there'd be fucking like, it would be like catfish in like an overcrowded pond, just like clawing, like biting at this thing, like, like insane, like almost like worms. And they would have these like pole arms. It was so bad that they would literally just be like stabbing sharks for hours. So it was kind of bizarre, like for him to sort of like be in the water at all. And then somehow managed to like get on this coffin and survive. And I think he also says like it kept, it fended the sharks off. Mm. But ultimately like the reason to bring it up is just strange in, in terms of like his presence in the final moment is like so weird. Yeah, he's always not active. I don't know. It could it could be just like it gives you the sense almost that like he forgot Melville like forgot that Ishmael was like in the story, yeah. and then he was like, oh fuck, like I, I he has to survive this because it's someone telling it, and then you also know he survives really early in the book because he talks about like after the events of the book, like he's in Peru hanging out in some like badass like bar. And he's talking shop with like other guys, but other whalers, but yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know. It is sort of funny. Like, did he just like forget that Ishmael was there? Um, we're supposed to be there. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. It's sort of, maybe he's just like consciousness. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I mean, that I think the book could be seen as like sort of, um, it, it's everything, every character in this book, like I said before with that quote, of uh, all the monsters in the ocean fighting each other or eating each other. Like every character in this book is within Ishmael or Melville and they're just embodied by these characters. And they're, those people can be seen almost seen as like his emotions that are always clashing. And so like, yeah, well, I feel like that's, that's true for like every character. Yeah. Oh, ever written. Well, yeah, I guess maybe sometimes, you know, characters are just like, people that aren't in you or something. But I, I, I guess you could see yourself in anybody. Well, they, I feel like they would have to be for you to, like, think of them. Yeah, or yeah, or even relate to them enough to write a characterization. Or just, like, have a... If you have a compelling, like, ensemble of characters, it's probably because it's an extension of, like, what you know, what you truly understand about, like, emotion, your emotions or something. I guess I meant to say that as, like... This it's sort of this is like Ishmael's brain, Ishmael's dream. Like so, he is just watching it. Yeah, and it's making me think about the tenants, like because we've talked about, and the books before this have been sort of like self help, but like there are sort of tenants to the books before. There definitely are, but like in terms of this book, it is it's 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 where the mysterious thing sort of starts to rear its head again because it's like. It is just a book about folly, basically, almost, right? Um, so it's like, what is, like, it's not telling you what to do. It's telling, telling you not what not to do. Hey, everybody. This is Andy in post. Uh, this is the end of part one. Catch, a, catch next week. We'll be releasing part two. Um I don't know if you picked up on the technical difficulties, but there were many in the recording studio, and it got cut off. My re- recording got cut off for 20 minutes. 
and we had to sort of recoup that. So, see you later.